Happy uh, Mothering Sunday, everyone, especially to the mothers. Uh, but those of us with mothers are very grateful that there's something to celebrate. And, you know, those of us that have even lost our mothers, we're remembering on this day uh, someone who nurtured us and took care of us. And, uh, you know, we're talking today, we're, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And as uh, Scott was sharing, which is so true, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, you look in this, this book was written 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago. And yet you're seeing in it real life experiences that, that we have today. Nothing really does change. And uh, it's always interesting reading, like, teaching through a book. Because you come to these moments, some chapters are kind of easy to teach through. Others are a little more challenging. Um, when I was reading through this, I was trying to ask myself, it was written sort of in a, like the book of Proverbs style, with just a number of repeated phrases, and I was thinking, what, what's the theme, what's really going on here? And what I could see was that there are challenges in our day-to-day, day-to-day lives. We face challenges just in our decisions, in our circumstances, and really in trying to understand uh, how things go and how things work. Alex, we can move to the next slide, thanks. Great. Um, so we're going to just be looking at Ecclesiastes 9. I ask you to turn to 9, verse uh, 13. We'll read from there. This next slide. Thanks. Okay, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 13. He said, I saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it, Now, there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. Okay, so we have a problem solved. And this this weak city didn't have much resources, but there was this poor man, he was wise, he saved the city by his wisdom. But then look on, it says, nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. That was clear from what had happened. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. There's a lot of opposing ideas in there, sort of just uh, popping out. And it's interesting, it takes a twist. This, This guy saved the city, but then no one respected him afterwards. And it's interesting, wisdom's better than strength. He goes on to say it's better than weapons of war. But sadly, things that happen in life, even when someone steps up and uses that wisdom, it doesn't mean that they treat it fairly. I notice I put in the notes, in other words, things aren't, are always fair. There should be a nod in there. Things aren't always fair. They are not always fair. And that is a challenge, isn't it? When uh, you've used the best wisdom you have and you've, you've applied that to the situation and things have improved, and then in fact, no one appreciates it. No one, no one even remembers what has happened. And uh, he said, you know, that's, it, that's just a very sad situation. The poor man's wisdom is despised. But he goes also, the, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. So it's not about the volume. It's about the content. It's about what's really in our words. You know, we face real life challenges. And we're going to move through just some other uh, verses here from chapter 10 and then actually uh, chapter 11, the beginning. 
And I've kind of reshuffled these just so they're kind of keeping theme. So let's just go to the next, we'll go to the next slide. Okay, we're going to talk first about foolishness. And of course the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes speak a lot about this. And Solomon said in some way, there's a little folly in each one of us. Things seem to tend towards folly when we're left to our own devices. So what does he say about foolishness? As dead flies give perfume a bad smell. Now, I don't know about them giving it a bad smell, but if I found some dead flies in the perfume, I don't think I'd be wanting to dab it on my face. So it would make it pretty useless. But, but here he says, the perfume loses its smell. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is. Okay, so foolishness has a life of its own. And, and sometimes people are just proud to be fools. Some of the things, you know, I remember going to the Soviet Union back uh, in 1991. And as I was studying for seven years about the Soviet culture and communism... The more I studied and the more I saw them say God doesn't exist and they rejected religion and they were doing saying all these things against Christianity, the Bible. You know what I said to myself? Something is going to fall. Because it's foolish to speak that way. You know, I have some fears about our own societies here in the West that are becoming arrogant towards God and His Word. And even proud of this arrogance. Of course, they call it liberal thinking. They call it open-mindedness. But there is truth. And then there's lies. And it's so sad because people can just stand up and say something that is not true, but claim to be wise. Words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool is consumed by his own lips. At the beginning, his words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness. And the fool multiplies words. Now this is important too, that, that, uh, that there's a graciousness in, in a wise man's mouth, but the fool's just thinking about what he has to say. And he wants to get his opinion out there. And in the end, it just leads to madness and much talk. You know, go a little further. Verse 15, a fool's work wearies him. He does not know the way to town. You know, basically saying... Just the idea of work, the idea of going to work is already demotivating. If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. A a feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry. But money is the answer for everything. Okay, now we see truly uh, Solomon's limited view. But you know, uh, as uh, Ken was sharing in the contribution, money is the answer for some things, isn't it? I mean, would a little more money make life a little easier? Who just thinks a little more money might make life a little easier, okay? I mean, everybody thinks that. And there's some truth in it. And a, a, a feast, man, it's great to celebrate. Wine makes your life a little merry. But what he says is, money answers everything. But that's still just a worldly wisdom. Money really isn't the answer, except for worldly problems. It doesn't solve what's missing spiritually. So, you know, foolishness, that fills our life with challenges. Our own foolishness, the foolishness of others. Let's go to the next slide. Another theme that we saw here was uh, some of the challenges we face just in submission. And all of us are in submission, well, at many levels to many different things. Uh, We are citizens and we live in a country. 
And there's rules we need to follow. Who didn't pay their taxes? No, I'm not, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But, but you know, the truth is, we all know we should be paying our taxes. And uh, if it wasn't enough that the law is there, uh, Romans 13 verse 7 says we should pay our taxes as well. So if you're a Christian, you do pay your taxes. I'm not saying you gotta, you, you can't be, you know, figure out how to pay the least you can. I'm not saying you can't be smart about this, but I'm saying you've got to be uh, and have integrity. But we have a government to submit to. Uh, we have employers to submit to. We have families that we submit to. Children submit to parents. Wives submit to husbands. Uh, you know, we submit to a, a leadership in the church. We submit, you know, you can find submission happens everywhere. You can't escape this. Well, it's interesting. Let's just read a few of these verses. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. You know, when I read that, I immediately pictured one of those British signs that says, Stay calm and do not leave your post. You know, just stay calm. You know, sometimes things get kind of tense. And the first thing you want to do is, is jump out. But stay calm and face the issues. You know, read a little further, verses 5 to 7. It says, there's an evil I've seen under the sun. The sort of error that arises from a ruler. Yes, leaders make mistakes. Families, in families, in government, in church, in everywhere. Um, and so it goes on to say, fools are put in many high positions. I'm feeling a little intimidated standing up here right now. But it says, while the rich occupy the low ones. I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. You know, the fact is, when people are in charge, not everything's going to be perfect. Welcome to the world. And that is a challenge. Verse 16 and 17. Woe to you, a land whose king was a servant, probably better translated child, and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land whose king is of noble birth, and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So, you know, it's saying, you know, if, you're, if your leader is inexperienced, the people will suffer. If the princes are, are partying already, just as the morning begins, you're going to have some problems in your nation. And uh, he's talking about those that were trained, those, the, those of noble birth, those that understand the responsibility they've been given, the princes who eat at a proper time, that's encouraging. But see, that's not the way it always works, is it? We face the challenge in our lives of submitting to imperfect leadership. You know, in chapter 10, verse 20, Do not revile the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird of the air may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you have to say. This may be more likely to happen on the internet for us. But you know, there is some thoughts about... You know, what we think eventually pops out, eventually blurts out, eventually makes its way. And he's saying, be wise and and be careful what you say against those in authority. You know, there's another, go to the next slide. Some advice about risk. These are some interesting proverbs. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. It sounds like one in the book of Proverbs where he, he was saying, if you dig a trap, you might fall into it. But this guy's just digging a pit. Whoever breaks through a wall might be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones might be injured by them. Whoever split logs may be in in danger by them. What's interesting is all of these actions require some labor. 
There's some resistance. Digging a hole isn't easy. Breaking through a wall isn't easy. Quarrying stones. These things aren't easy. You know, when you use force to get something you want, there's always a little kickback. There's always a little something going on there. And he says, be careful. Be careful. Now, it's interesting talking about using some force. He says, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. So it's interesting. We don't always have the optimal tools in our toolbox, but some skill will actually help bring the success we're looking for. And then it says, if a snake bites before it's charmed, there is no profit for the charmer, especially when it's a poisonous snake. Okay, you know, if the, if the snake bites you, then you've sort of failed in your quest, right? The whole idea was to get this thing under control and uh, not be hurt. But if it bites before it's charmed, it's over. And next slide. And then there's sort of some ideas about the uncertainty of the future. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell him what will happen after him? And then some great proverbs just that are very positive about looking towards the future cast your bread upon the waters for after many days you will find it again give portions of seven yes to eight for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land you know it's interesting most of the parables of jesus come back to a a line in the book of proverbs or ecclesiastes there's a parable about a shrewd manager who uses what he was entrusted with to gain friends for himself Basically saying, give generously, give to seven, maybe eight, for you don't know what disaster might come. Why would he say give when you don't know about disaster? Because if you're generous, that will set the tone of the relationships of people around you. Look in verses 3 to 5. If the clouds are full of water, or in other words, if you live in England, uh, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. That's pretty profound. Okay. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. You know, really, he's he's saying be proactive and stop thinking about all the possible excuses. If we're always looking at the reasons why things can't get done, what do we do? Nothing, right? If we're always thinking about the obstacles, we're always thinking about the possible problems, we're never going to move forward. And he's saying, be proactive. Do what you know you should. If you need to plant, plant. And it goes on in verse 6, sow your seed in the morning. And at evening, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Rather than have a catalog of all the possible excuses and reasons why something wouldn't work, better to have one or two plans. Have a plan B, not just a plan A. It was really cool when when David fought Goliath, and it had to be intimidating. Here's this, this youth looking at the giant. But he goes down to the river. He knew what he was going to do. He's going to use his sling. And he was going to throw a stone sorry, at Goliath. And what happened? He picked out five stones. Not just one. Now how many stones did he use? One. 
And I think he had the faith that God, God could do it with one. But you know, I've, I've got to know, you know, God through the years. God doesn't always give you what you want with the first knock. God likes you to knock a few times. God, God likes to have a few plans ready and commit them all to God. So there's a plan A and a plan B. You don't know which one will succeed, but devote it to God. Let's turn over into the New Testament. And we're just going to finish this lesson by looking in Hebrews chapter 12. Because what we saw through these verses that we read in Ecclesiastes is that there are challenges in life. There are real challenges that we all face. And if you're like me, I like a little challenge, but I don't like too much. You know, it's nice to have a little bit of challenge, but if something's too challenging, it's easy to become overwhelmed. It's easy to become discouraged. And it's easy even to think a little bit like, God, what are you doing This isn't the way I thought it was going to be. Let's read together here just Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 11. Hebrews 12, 4 to 11. It says, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not like make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now it's interesting, the Hebrew writer is talking to Christians and he's saying, you've forgotten this word of encouragement. But you know, I think we tend to forget the things we don't really understand. And you read this verse and it says, be encouraged when you're being going through difficulty because God loves you and He's disciplining you. And something in the human mind doesn't want to accept that as truth. If God really loved me, shouldn't He make things easy for me? If God really loved me, shouldn't it just be an easy path? But what the Hebrew writer is saying is, you will face challenges. And God is with you. Be encouraged. He is with you. And He does discipline those He loves as children. Look a little further in verse 7. It says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. You know, one of our family's favorite comic strips is Calvin and Hobbes. And uh, Calvin's father has this theory that only difficulty will develop your character. Okay? And uh, sorry if you can't quite read it. It's Calvin at the table, got his nose on his plate, his father. What's this disgusting, slimy blob? His father says, try it, you'll love it. Calvin screams, oh yeah? Well, what if I don't love it? Then it will build character. And there's Calvin, that's my dad always looking out for me. Let's go to the next one. Shovel, shovel, shovel. 
Why can't we get a snowblower? We must be the only family in the world that still shovels the driveway by hand. I'm freezing. It builds character. Keep at it. Pretty convenient how every time I build character, he saves a couple of hundred dollars. You know, what that shows you, sometimes when we're going through discipline, we start to doubt the motive of the one disciplining us, right? Oh yeah, Dad, you're, that's right. Save yourself 300 bucks and give me this shovel. One more slide. I've decided I suffer from low self-esteem. That's Calvin speaking. Is that a fact, as Dad says? Yep, from now on, my goal is to feel good about myself. You're going to work harder at everything and build some character, his dad asks. No, I'm going to whine until I get the special treatment I like. Calvin's dad says, I wonder if anyone else is as scared about the future as I am. And then Calvin says, I found that immediate gratification is the only thing that helps me. You know, the truth is, we don't like discipline. No one likes difficulty. You know, I think one of our charges as parents is to try to make our children's lives as non-difficult as possible. The difficulties will come, but you don't want your children worrying about the bills when they're three. You know, come here, help me, help me do the, do the books over here, you know. You know what, we're, you, know, you don't want to deprive your children. You don't want them to have to suffer as we work through things. But you know, as our children grow older, they need to learn how to face the difficulties in their lives. Because those difficulties, God will use to develop them. You know, without pain, there is no gain in the physical world. Let's go to the next, next slide. You know, Hebrews 12.4, we read that hardship is a discipline from God. And it's hard for us to believe this, but when things are really hard, that's when God's really loving us actively. Like He's there. See, we tend to think the opposite. He's pulled back. He's not blessing me. He loves us. And He allows us to go through things for our own good. Every child undergoes discipline. You know, it was really awesome just watching Al really come to some deep convictions in faith during the past uh, few months. And uh, really, I mean, I just love his heart. He's like, he's reading some stuff from the, from the Bible. And he's like, does the Catholic Church know this is here? <laughs> you know, he's just, he just reading, like, really? And, and, but his heart was simply, I want to do what God wants me to. And, you know, we were talking about this amazing gift of this Holy Spirit. When you're baptized, you receive God's Spirit inside of you. And you are with God always. He's with you. You're connected. This fatherhood is real. This connection is real. And it's so amazing just to know that I'll never be alone. And that's, that's what he said before his baptism. I said, what are you excited about? I'm never going to be alone again. God's going to be with me. His heavenly Father is right there. You know, it makes all the difference. Sometimes we accept discipline, but we accept it just sort of fatalistically. We don't embrace it as God is training me. We're more like thinking, why, why, why? Okay, I'll put up with it. Eventually it'll pass. But you know, today's hardship is training for future challenges. Sometimes people turn away from God, they go, it's too hard. But let me just tell you, Christians, our suffering makes sense. God's using all our difficulty for a purpose. 
So think about what's the hardest thing in your life right now. Don't, don't have to say it out loud. What's the hardest thing in your life right now? Really, in your mind. God is using that to train you. Whatever that is. Your father's not far away from you, just the opposite. He's right with you. And he wants you to be transformed. You know, it says that this discipline brings forth a harvest of righteousness and peace. It has a quality in our lives that actually just takes us to another level. It is awesome. But so true, he said, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. When does discipline ever seem pleasant? Now, you're, you're going to be really crazy or convinced that whatever this discipline you're doing, you're already convinced if I do this, something good's going to result. You know, you get a young man, a teenage guy into the gym the first few times, like, what good is this? You know, but then they do it for a few weeks and they start seeing a little bit of result and suddenly it's like, <laughs> suddenly they know it's going to be hard, but they get fired up about the challenge because they know that something will be produced. Now, physical exercise is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. 1 Timothy 4.8 This training that God gives us is for our own good. And let's just read together Hebrews 12, verses 12 and 13. He said, "Make Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. You know, sometimes our difficulties are simply because we keep choosing wrong paths. No, no one's doing it to us. We're kind of doing it to ourselves. And, and one of the lessons we can learn is, what kind of path have I chosen? If you look through the book of Hebrews, the path that you see is the path of faith. Is the path I'm on right now really requiring faith? The reason Christianity in, the, in practice tends to become traditionalized is because faith is challenging to live by. And we'd rather live by a pattern, by a tradition. And it can come in many forms. But what God wants us to do is live by faith in this relationship with Him as His children. So make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. You know, our Father in Heaven loves us. And it is great to celebrate the love of our mothers today. That's awesome. And I'm sure our mothers also disciplined us as they saw fit. I can think of a few instances of my mom disciplining me. But you know, the truth is we have a heavenly father who wants to finish what our parents began. Our parents wanted to instill in us a sense of right and wrong. Our parents wanted to create in us enough strength and independence that we could make our own decisions and live an independent life. God wants us to do that even more effectively. He wants us to do that for spiritual reasons. Not just physical success or material success, but for spiritual success. You know, if we learn how to walk through the difficulties with God, just think how we'll enjoy the lighter times. Just think how grateful we'll be in those lighter times. But let's remember as we go through difficulty, God is with us and God has a purpose 
And God has a plan. And through those difficulties, He trains us to make us more of who He wants us to be. Let's bow in prayer as the worship team comes and takes their place. Our Father God, we are so grateful for Your love in our lives. And Father, parenthood is such an amazing aspect of human society and human life. And Father, to be a parent is such a great responsibility. Uh, to be a child of loving parents is such a wonder and, and such fun. And, and honestly, we don't really realize how good we have it sometimes until, it's, until we've grown out of that stage. But Father, I really pray today that we see Your hand in our lives. Father, there are things that you definitively orchestrate in our lives. You have moved specifically uh, through the angels, through spiritual forces, just through an action of your spirit and power. And Father, there's times that that other people are acting in in their free will, and that affects us, and you allow it to happen. And then, Father, there are times where we make decisions of our own and have to learn the value of those and really look for the spiritual harvest from those and learn. Father, you've given us this life. Thank you so much for the cross. Thank you that through the outpouring of the Spirit of Jesus, we can truly become your children. And you are our Father. And I pray that as we go through this week, as we face the most difficult moments, I pray rather than ever think, where are you right now? Just say, I know you're here. And thank you for allowing this in my life. Help me to learn what you want me to learn. Father, we are grateful, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.